The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right, we're back. It's that time. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Doing a question and answer show today. Pretty excited about that. Out of, born out of necessity, this, the, the backlog just never stops growing. Yeah, I think, you know, we tried this before, and I don't think we made much of a dent no. in there. No, because you announced it, uh, much like you did today, and then 15 emails roll in day of, and then, uh, yeah, the backlog grows. Yeah, that's fine. We'll try to power through. Um, so yeah, pretty excited for today's show. Um, I'm your host, Jay Goodwin, from The Rare Barrel. We're at the Brewing Network Studios here in pretty sunny downtown concord summer arrived in march here oh man we got a little bit of did you guys get rain i heard it was like hailing somewhere over here rain rain i don't yeah. understand water Wait, dropping from the sky oh that yeah yeah that did happen yesterday it was oh, weird okay. i heard it was like hailing in martinez or something yeah I, I saw the thunderstorm thing and that never that never panned out but yeah the patios here at the uh, the grenade are going off and uh, people are enjoying the uh summer weather in april definitely it's, yeah. uh, it's a good place to be out here and Good time to be drinking beer. Uh, here with Scott, who you heard, and also Bevo. How's it going, Bevo? Be- well, Bevo just removed her headset because it uh, it shocked her. It's I don't know what's going mm-hmm. on. I don't know if it's her her box, her her little uh, the, the the box that the the phones plug into. Mm-hmm. But last, did it start last night, Bev? That you got shocked? No, it's been happening before that twice now. Yeah, I, I don't. She's like it's zapping my ear. So I, I don't. <laughs> it's just one of my favorite parts of the show, though, to introduce Bevo because she's just never ready for it. Yeah, what reason is it going to be this week? <laughs> uh, yeah, you never know. Yeah, so she's not hear. listening. She's pointing to her ears, going, "I don't know." Doesn't know what's going on, so it's always great. But yeah, she's always like working on something really important and not, not like the show. Not right. So this time it's like taxes. Last time it was like insurance. <laughs> right. So, <yeah. laughs> I love your facial expressions. <laughs> they never get old. She's very skeptical of what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so we want you guys to chime in today. We're looking for questions. Uh, I think we're going to give priority well, as many mailbags, mailbag questions as we want to get through. If you call in, we'll we'll bump you up the list and uh, take your question live on there. Is that right? Yes. Cool. Um, so call us, 888-401-BEER. Just as good. Join us in the chat. As always, you can be uh, emailing Scott during the week to uh, have some questions answered on the show. Uh, watch us live, uh, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. That's your best way to get the show on the sooner side because, you know, all the the Brewing Network audio engineers and technical advisors are, they work day and night to get this podcast up on iTunes, but it, it you know, it does take some time. So the best way to hear it right when we do it is uh, probably watching live, right? Yes. Uh, we do do, we do work day and night. We work like for about six or seven minutes in the PM mm-hmm. and then we'll put in a good four or five minutes in the AM. Yeah. So it's, that's what you mean, right? Well, yeah, because we're around the clock at like 11 AM. Right. Well, no, nah, that's not fair. It's 10, 15, 10, 30. 10, 15. Yeah. And then I kind of stir around for a little while and then by about 10, 47, I'm like sharp as a tech. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that's day and night, AM and PM. Right. And then, you know, you cut out around one. So <laughs> exactly. that's, that's day and night. Right. Yeah, and then go ahead, uh, you know, if you're if you're not able to listen live, just uh, click subscribe on your iTunes, your Stitchers, your 
your PodWave applications. Yeah, and that's how that's the best way to to hear this hour hour. Um, had a couple of shows. We had kind of two shows uh, last month. One was uh, Chad Jacobson from Crooked Stave. That's up on iTunes now. Um, I'm listening to that one back. There's always a lot of good. Anytime Chad's on a show or Chad's talking, it's a good good chance to listen, but also listen back. Yes. There's just such a dense level of information. That, it's a smart guy making a lot of good beers out in Denver. Um, but then we just recently had one with uh, the brewmaster from Rodenbach. Uh, Rudy, and that's going to go up, I don't know, sometime in the next couple of days. I yeah, think. I think we're going to try and get it up tomorrow. Awesome. Um, cool. So this show, you know, it's it's going to be uh, lots of questions. Um, as always, they're going to be brought to you by SourBeerBlog.com. Go ahead and check out uh, Sour Beer Blog and follow along with uh, Dr. Lambic's exploits. Uh, it's got great uh, sour beer reviews and experimental homebrew techniques. So go ahead and check that out. Um but then we're also going to do some uh, some tasting here at the top. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, we got a couple of beers in front of us, and uh, we got a uh, a sort of a, a not a new brewer, but um, trying to break into a commercial brewing. So we're going to see if we can't uh, help him do that. Yeah, an, an aspiring brewer. Um, his name's Eric Martin. Uh, the brewery name is Marto M A R T O Brewing, MartoBrewing.com. Um, and yeah, we've got a couple of beers in front of us from him. So. Let's let's bring him in now, and we can uh, talk about his project. Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Eric, I see. Uh, you know, we we're talking on the cell phones. I see you got a Sioux City, Iowa number. Is that where your brewery's going to be? We're going to be located about 30 miles south of Sioux City, in a town called Iowa, a town of 3,000 people. But we're located in a pretty good spot between Sioux City, Iowa, and Omaha, Nebraska. So we're excited about that to have both communities close, plus uh, small town Iowa here. To help revitalize our area and bring craft beer to this area. Awesome. Sounds like a noble cause. Um, so, Eric, for, for the people who haven't heard of your brewery yet, where are you, you know, kind of in the process of starting your, your new brewery? Well, we're uh, trying to finalize some financial things uh, with this crowdfunding campaign here through Indiegogo. This can help us with our brewery floor with concrete and drainage. And any extra we get will help increase our wood cellar capacity and sour beer and wild beers. Yeah, so we're looking at fall of 2015 for opening date. By the time uh, everything is finished with that, uh, that's what we're shooting for. But we'll see how that goes with licensing and all that fun stuff. So Yeah, it always takes longer than you think. Always. How long have you been making sour beer as a homebrewer? About three years about 2012, I really started getting into Saison brewing and then branched off and uh, uh, adding Brett to Saisons. And then that became kind of a passion while still maintaining, you know, classic styles and just kind of grew from there. So so one of the beers we have is a tart Saison. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, that beer is brewed with a mixed culture that I've kind of grew up uh, over the last year or so with a uh, Belgian farmhouse yeast and uh, bottle dregs that I've collected over time from different breweries and lab cultures. Like, uh, I have two different Brett strains in there and a 3726 Belgian farmhouse strain that I really like. Gives a nice peppery character to the beer. Uh, with that beer there, it's pretty highly hopped, like a tra- traditional Saison. So it uh, kind of, the IBUs tamed down the sourness from the lacto so it's more of a tart saison category 
Awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was reading on your, your website that you're going to have kind of a whole farmhouse series of beers. Is that with, with the beers that we have here kind of fit in that part of your program? Yeah, that's correct. Our kind of specialty series of farmhouse beers would be called the Lois Hills farmhouse series. Uh, Lois Hills is a land formation in Western Iowa. It's a large farming community. And so I thought kind of pay homage to the community that we're around here and name it after that. Uh, we're going to use wild yeast and bacteria from this area. I've already captured one Britannomyces strain that I'm really happy with. It has a nice peppery characteristic that goes really well with the Saison. So that beer there has that yeast in it along with Brettois. Awesome. And, you know, I think uh, people should really check out your website. And uh, one thing that I saw when I was on there is that uh, you've won quite a few awards as a home brewer. Um, and even gone to the point where you had a beer brewed by uh, Nebraska Brewing Company. Is that right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that was a competition I entered through them. And the beer I won with that competition was a Belgian beer. It was clean with a, I used a brewery, the brewery bottle dregs and prop that up and use that yeast to brew a cucumber muskmelon beer. Sounds kind of crazy, but it's pretty popular. And we rebrewed that beer at Nebraska Brewing Company, and they served it at a ticketed beer and food pairing, and people really liked it. It's good summer beer, good uh, balance between the fruit and that yeast character from the Belgian yeast. Muskmelon? Yeah, what is that? Yeah, it's like a cantaloupe, I guess. Uh, Muskmelon is more of a broad range, but more specifically, it's a cantaloupe. I don't know that I'd ever want to use uh, musk as a uh, an adjective for any food I'm eating. It's like what your uncle smells like, you know? Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> sounds like you're probably trying to balance in that beer, you know, uh, some some kind of funk going on with, you know, two ingredients that seem like they're on the lighter side of flavor impact with cucumber and this, uh, you know, cantaloupe type of ingredient. How, how did that work out? Did, did you like the results? Yeah, when I first tasted the beer, I wanted to add cucumber to it just to mess around. And then when I taste the beer, I thought some reason the cantaloupe came to mind, like a melon flavor would go well with the flavors already there with the cucumber and that Belgian L yeast. And they complement each other pretty well. And it was a pretty light malt bill, mostly Pilsner malt. So it was pretty refreshing. So what about this other beer? It's a uh, no boil sour. Yes. That was a blonde, no boil sour. Uh, I got the idea from, Jason Yester at a Trinity Brewing Company in Colorado. I love that guy. He did an article. He did an article a while back about kind of ancient saison brewing techniques, and I kind of took the saison brewing technique and then decided to try a sour beer out with it. Uh, it was a no boil, but I mashed like a regular beer and then sparged and then heated the wort up to about 195 degrees, enough to sanitize or sterilize the wort. Held it there for about 25 minutes, and then cooled it down and fermented it like a, re- like a regular beer. Then I pitched in my house slurry of farmhouse yeast, Brett, and uh, lacto. I kept it clean and blonde. I kind of want to see what kind of character the yeast would put off, plus the combination of being a no-boil beer, if any off flavors would come out. And it actually came out really clean and a nice, clean sourness. And you do get a little bit of pepper from the yeast and uh, uh, it has good mouthfeel too because that no boil there's no protein coagulation from the no boil so it is a cloudy beer but 
still dry but has good enough mouth feel to it and uh you know one thing one other thing i read is that you're going to install a three and a half barrel system you know you're going to be based out of western iowa what's your you know distribution going to be like in the first few years is it people just kind of in that area are going to be able to get your beer are you going to bottle at all yeah so starting out the only stuff that will bottle will be our wild and sour beers we'll distribute those throughout all of iowa we're also in contact with some businesses in Omaha, Nebraska area that we may move into soon, depending on production and the demand just in Iowa alone, and then possibly branch out from there as production increases. We will send kegs to all over Iowa also, but we'll mainly send our sour beer out in bottles. So, Awesome. Well, it seems like you're on the right track. Um, can you just give another quick plug for your uh, Indiegogo? Do people just go on to there and uh, search for Marto Brewing? I think you have a, a special URL, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, go to martobrewing.com slash BNArmy. It'll take you right to the Indiegogo campaign. Also, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and we've been plugging the campaign here recently, so you'll see it on there. Uh, go ahead and like our page and follow along, and we're excited to bring great sour beer to Iowa and the Midwest. So cool. Yeah. It's M A R T O Marto brewing. And, uh, if everyone listening to this show donated two bucks, uh, Eric would hit his goal and, uh, his brewery would become a reality. So help a brother out. If you, uh, if you donate five bucks, you're doing, uh, more than your part and, uh, you're picking up a fellow soldier as well. So everybody would appreciate it, especially the good folks of, uh, Iowa and the, uh, Midwest there. Are there any uh, like sour breweries that are that have any sort of a, a distribution footprint there already? Uh, in Iowa, there's one brewery that's just brewing sours. They don't distribute too wide of an area, but we do get a lot of the you know, Crooked Stave and uh, Prairie in this area distributed, and it's it's growing pretty well. I'm been in contact with different uh, craft beer bars in Iowa, and when they do get sour beer, and it's selling like crazy, and they're pretty eager to. So my beer, I've taken in a lot of bottles to them, and they're excited about it, and we're excited to bring it to everybody in Iowa and, you know, maybe hit some markets outside of Iowa, depending on how, you know, our seller capacity is and all that. Cool. Well, thanks for sending us these two beers, and I can't wait to see um, what the uh, commercial versions of uh, beers like this will be once you uh, get going. Yeah, I'm excited to work with uh, getting a lot of barrels and have fun with that stuff, so... Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Eric, and uh, thanks again for the beers. You bet. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yep. Later, Eric. All right. That was Eric Martin from Marto Brewing, M-A-R-T-O. Check it out at martobrewing.com, the Facebooks, the Instagrams. Did he say Twitter? Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Twitter yeah, just, also. Just assume he's using it, you know. Foursquare. Right. Um, Tumblr. Vine. Vi- That's a thing. Oh, yeah. The vid- the, the, the little video short thing. videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just ICQ. And then Indiegogo. I mean, you bring up a good point. Just two bucks, you know, can really go a long way if uh, we leverage the whole uh, BN army. Uh, One last thing I really liked on his website, the quotes from it is, uh, serving mediocre beer is unacceptable. And for a new brewery to say that, you know, that makes me smile, gives me a little extra confidence in a new brewer. Um, Plus the beers he's he's planning are really exciting. Yes. Go check it out and um, just be excited if you're living in that area for uh, Marto Brewing. Now he did. There's a third beer that we uh, didn't get to, but it is a uh, a raspberry beer. And so I do have a question here before the break as Great. it pertains to fruit. 
Uh, Eric doesn't need this question answered. He knows what he's doing. But uh, Bud Moilano from the email does. And he says, when using fruit, Jay, how do you prepare the fruit to add? Whole, sliced, pureed? Uh, what fruits do you think? Well, let's start there. Whole, sliced, or pureed? Yeah, so currently at the Rare Barrel, we're using uh, pureed fruit. Um, comes from Oregon Fruit Products. Uh, it's a company in Oregon uh, that makes fruit products, obviously. I'm but, hold on, I'm writing. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> make sure you're taking notes. Uh, but their their purees are like out of this world good. Um, really bright uh, fruit, aromatics, and flavor. Um, and they process them. Uh, so they're aseptic. So it's like a I don't know twenty or thirty second at one hundred ninety degree flash pasteurization. Um, I like that because uh, first of all the quality is really high. Um, second, there's no wild yeast and bacteria growing on the fruit. Now a lot of other sour beer brewers they want that. Um, where I, you know, kind of try to shy away from that is, um, you know, we're doing all these experimentations with our yeast and bacteria in either a primary or secondary fermentation. And I want to know what those end up tasting like without any, um, you know, sort of wild cross contamination from a fruit or a barrel that's not treated, something like that. Um, so while a lot of sour beer brewers, uh, you know, encourage using native cultures in an oak barrel or using cultures that are living on fruit skins naturally, that's something we shy away from right now, but I don't think there's, you know, anything wrong with that. I just get worried about, you know, how often is it that those are going to be positive cultures versus negative cultures? Um, so we use the purees, um, in it, I think eventually we'll start experimenting with different, um, whole fruits, but we'll try to process them in almost the exact same way as, uh, Oregon fruit products does because of all the reasons I just listed. So if we do get whole fruit, um, you know, we'll bring it in, sift through it, um, make sure there are no, you know, rotten pieces of fruit. Um, we'll kind of clean, clean them of debris what I would probably do is um, co- take the core out and the stem, d- d- kind of depending on what fruit you're using, and I'd give them a quick dunk in boiling water. And then I'd kind of mash them up to get them almost puree-like. This is going to kind of expose uh, a lot of the sugar more rapidly to the beer. Um, and it's just going to be easier getting it in and out of the barrel if that's where you choose to do your fruiting. Um, so I think there's a lot of... Uh, Good ways to go when it comes to fruit. You just kind of need to think about, uh, you know, what you're going for. But was there a part two of that one? Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, what fruits do you think work best in sours for light sours? Uh, and then amber and dark. So let's just start with, is there, is there like a rule of thumb? I think, I think there is. Um, although I'm not like a huge fan of it, but I think light colored fruits go with light malt bills. Hmm. Um, People just kind of generally do that. Um, one thing that we do at the Rare Barrel is we make a almost black uh, sour beer with raspberries. And um, I think that's uncommon because if you have a fruit that's going to contribute like a beautiful color to a sour beer, you're going to want to use kind of like a golden or a pale base to show off that color in the beer. But for our beer, um, we like to make it dark and that malt bill kind of backs up the raspberry, gives it almost like a little bit of an astringency, like a raspberry seed would kind of taste like to make it more of a, a a complete raspberry flavor profile, but maybe it doesn't look like raspberry to people. So I think looks have, you know, a a big, um, 
impact on people's choices where they put uh, different fruits. But I don't think there's any reason you can't put, you know, uh, a dark sour with, you know, a light uh, colored and light flavored fruit like peach, you know, um, as long as you're happy with how the flavors go together, then I think uh, experimentation is is a good thing. Can I just throw this out there uh, as it pertains to strawberries and sour beer? And there's a lot, there's yeah. a fair amount of commercial examples. You, you make one, Fields mm-hmm. Forever. And I don't think I've had an example where I really was like, oh yeah, this is, this really works. I just think strawberries don't quite work as an adjunct, as a general rule. It can be well done. Fields Forever is a very enjoyable beer. But I don't think strawberries compare to, say, apricots or peaches. And mm-hmm. maybe it's just a matter of personal taste. But do you know what I'm saying? And if so, Absolutely. is there a reason for it? I don't know the reason, but strawberries do seem to be overly problematic. I mean, I've had multiple examples of strawberry sour beers that were just not enjoyable. They had this weird um, kind of phenolic hospital-like aroma to them. Yes. And, you know, just doesn't represent strawberries very well. Um, I don't know if that has something to do with... Uh, the sour beer reacting to maybe the seeds of the strawberries or something that some kind of reaction that's going on there. But um, I, I didn't get that out of ours, thankfully. Um, but strawberry is also a very delicate fruit. Um, and one thing we do um, with that beer, Fields Forever, is we build in a lot of flavor to the base beer. So we're adding um, strawberries to a beer that really almost already tastes the beer almost already tastes like strawberries. It's very tart. Um, it's got a good sweetness. It's almost got like a bigger cherry characteristic. But imagine a beer, a red beer that tastes like cherries, and then you add a bunch of strawberries to it. It's just kind of going to reinforce that strawberry flavor and aroma that you're already getting from from the fruit addition. So I think it is smart to, to build in acidity profiles and base malts that are going to complement uh, each fruit on an individual basis. But I agree, there are some that are just clearly shown to be more successful than others. Apricot is, you know, a really popular one. Raspberry Mm -hmm. is like everywhere. Everyone has a raspberry sour. So there are ones that are more successful. And if you're starting on a homebrew level or even just just starting out on a pro level, um, yeah, just start with the easier ones first. Start with a raspberry sour beer. Okay, and then one final part to Bud's question. He says, mm-hmm. how many fruit per gallon? Or um, uh, how much fruit per gallon? Uh, excellent question. Um, this is really going to vary by what fruit you're using. Um, the purees we use, like I said, I like it because it exposes everything right to the beer. Um, so I feel like you get more of a flavor impact on that than you would just kind of adding either like halved whole fruit, if that makes sense, like fruit. Let's say you pick a peach off a tree and cut it in half and add it to the barrel. I think that's not going to have as much um, flavor impact as the pureed peach. Um, but in general, so what we use it for the puree, it's about 42 pounds. They come in 42 pound uh, bags. And we it's usually we add that one per oak barrel. Um, we can adjust that up and down, but that's a good spot to start at for those. Um Whenever I hear people uh, quoting their usage rate on whole fruits, it's significantly higher than that. Um, So one thing that we do, which is uh, very labor intensive and something we've been working on in the last few days, is we take the base beer that we want to add fruit to, we take it completely out of the barrel into a blending tank. So this is a good place to check the taste um, along the way and reject barrels that aren't going to make it to your final blend. 
And then once all the beers are removed from the barrels, then we add the exact same amount of fruit to each oak barrel. Um, and then we're going to rack back onto those barrels, leaving a little bit of headspace for um, a refermentation of the fruit so the bungs don't pop off. Um, a, a lot of people don't do that. They're just going to add fruit to the existing headspace. Uh, I the, the problem I find with that is that you're going to have different amounts of fruit in the different oak barrels, and you're going to get a big variation. We like to keep things as consistent as possible throughout the process um, just to be able to compare all the barrels on an even playing field and get a better picture of the blend overall. Um, now, you know, if you're doing that on a homebrew level, that'd be basically just going from, you know, your uh, primary fermentation vessel to a secondary, not really a big deal. Um, for a brewery like ours, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, we just did a batch that was 60 oak barrels. So we had to remove beer from 60 oak barrels and put fruit and all back in all of them and monitor the fermentation, make sure it's not, you know, coming out the top or, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of work, but I, I think it's the best way that we found to do it. And you're monitoring 60 different vessels, which all might be behaving differently from one another, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. That's the cost of making a lot of sour beer. Um, but yeah, you have to, you really have to keep an eye on it. Um, but that, you know, that's what we do. I don't, I don't think there are, there's a lot of good ways to use fruit. A lot of people are doing stuff with frozen fruit, freeze dried, um, dried fruit. Um, there are a lot of different options out there. So try them out, try them on a small scale. That'd be my recommendation and see what works for you for labor and flavor and all that good stuff. All right. So let's get into some more questions, but first let's take a quick uh, beer break. This is the sour hour on the brewing network. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? <laughs> Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org the national homebrew conference is coming up this summer and more beer wants to send you to celebrate 20 years of serving homebrewers more beer is giving away two full pass registrations to the 2015 national homebrew conference june 10th through 13th that's right two full passes full access to all the presentations club night and pro brewers night two seats to the grand banquet and award ceremony two one-year membership gift cards to the american homebrewers association four night stay at the beautiful town and country resort round trip air fair to and from the san diego airport two vip passes to the brewing network's own anniversary party a 250 dollars prepaid visa gift card for food and your other expenses and dinner with the more beer crew visit morebeer.com for all the details and to enter you can enter once a day through april 15th and the winner will be drawn on april 25th if you've already purchased your registration to the event and seats to the grand banquet those fees can be refunded enter today at morebeer.com 
was a virgin till I came inside With the brown eyes, passionate and kisses right When I got her arms wrapped around my side Then you know it's a feeling that you're talking about And if you don't need me then I don't need you on my mind And if you don't want me then I don't want you on my dime I said I'm leaving baby Never look back, never look back I said I'm leaving honey Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Doing a question and answer show right now. Um, but before we dive back into your questions, I uh, want to mention a new sponsor, actually, that we have. It's the Wine and Hop Shop from Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. Um, a local homebrew shop. Yeah, locally owned and operated for over 40 years. Great, friendly service. 50 combined years of brewing experience. Um, Lots of pro brewers on the staff over there. Yeah, more than half the staff has brewed professionally, actually. And uh, the Brewing Network listeners, including the special Sour Hour listeners, which are the superior listeners of the Brewing Network. Obviously. Obviously. Um, they get an $8 flat rate shipping on orders under 50 pounds if they enter the code BN Shipping in the discount field during checkout. Uh, most items are going to ship within 24 hours. You can go check it out. They got... Brewing kits, winemaking kits, uh, used corny kegs. They even have like these smaller sized uh, oak barrels from a local distillery. So anyone out there who's been looking to do some uh, small scale barrel aging, uh, definitely check it out. It's the Wine and Hop Shop in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And thank them very much for uh, supporting the Brewing Network and the Sour Hour. Yeah, if you're a local, if you live in uh, Madison, 
uh, then, uh, you know, support your local homebrew shop, as uh, Jamil likes to say. And uh, they also are, are trying to boost their online ordering. So your next ingredient or equipment order, show them you like this show by uh, supporting them. Support those who support us. Yeah. You know, if for no other reason than you feel bad that the Wisconsin Badgers just lost the national championship, <laughs> yeah. please, for the love of God, go visit their website and check it out. I, you know, I think in the next year or two, I'm going to try to do a batch of wine. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know anything about wine fermentation. So once I do, I'm going to go on to uh, Wine and Hop Shop and get one of their uh, wine kits, I think. Nice. It's Wine and Hop. Dot com, by the way. Yeah. Wineandhop.com. Yeah. Are you going to stick the um, the the uh, carboy of fermenting wine on your parents' basement staircase? Uh, there's probably not enough room with all the other uh, jugs and jars that I have left there. Those are, oh man, those are probably like three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old sour beer now. Yeah. Oh, man. You haven't tasted it recently? Mm-mm. Oh, man. No. Set it and forget it, eh? Uh, yeah, exactly not, what you preach uh, against. Yeah, not, yeah. not my finest hour, but mm-hmm. something when you, when you leave stuff at your parents' house, it's like it doesn't exist anymore. It certainly exists for them, right? But uh, <laughs> not for you, which is kind of nice. All right, well, we have more uh, beer to taste that was sent in by uh, listener Brian, which I'm excited about. But first, uh, you want to do a couple of questions? Yeah, let's do that, and then we can uh, work on pouring these bad boys out too. Wait, uh, this this is homebrew beer, right? Yeah, the next one's homebrew because it look it looks like a side project beer. With yeah, that label and wax, wax seal. Like, I know. I'm excited awesome. for these. Uh, all right, cool. uh, uh, peas and corn. Hang on the line at Skype. There, we're gonna go to Ryan in San Diego. Ryan, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Uh, yeah, what's going on? Uh, not much. Just sitting watching the show. What can we do you for? So I had a question about uh, extract or partial mash sours. Okay, shoot. If there was anything, you know, kind of different to do, I guess on that smaller scale, uh, I'm making up for, I know that you, oh, go ahead. Well, you know, so something that happens uh, when you're extract brewing, and I'm by no means an expert on it, I didn't spend too much time doing it, but uh, one thing I considered when thinking about extract sour beer is, you know, you're not able to con- uh, control the mash temperature of an extract beer. It's right. kind of, you, you get what you get. Um, so I, I actually always like the idea of uh, doing extract sour beers because once you introduce the brett and various bacteria, they're gonna they're gonna chomp up the more complex carbohydrates that may have been bypassed by a Saccharomyces fermentation due to you know the the variable uh, mash temp of whatever extract you're using. Plus, you can you know do a fifty fifty extract. I think there's. Um, there's like the wheat extract, which is actually, it's not 100% wheat, but it's like 50-50 or 70-30 or something. And that's like almost like a lambic base right there. So I think uh, brewing with either extract or a partial mash for sour beer is a great idea. I would just consider the fact that you there are going to be some sugars bypassing the initial fermentation, but that could be, you know, exactly what you're going for. But you, you do lose a little control there. So that that would be... Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, but did you have a, a question about any other parts of the process, or was that was that pretty much it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess what a, kind of addition I was wondering, I know some people had talked on previous shows and a couple people that were talking on the session about using, like, oats or flaked, uh, flaked wheat or things like that to kind of add additional starches that won't get fermented by Saccharomyces, but kind of maybe aid uh, giving the... Britannomyces and maybe some bacteria, something to work on, as well as maybe increasing the body overall, leaving some protein. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a great thing to use. We use uh, oats in our beer to help out the mouthfeel, um, and I think it makes a really delicious wort. We use uh, rolled oats, so those are going to convert, actually, um, but you can use a lot of raw grain. Um, one idea I was always intrigued by, and I've seen kind of some some internet buzz about people trying to do this, uh, and I, I always thought it was a pretty decent idea, is to do uh, an extract beer and then just add a, a small amount of uh, flour to a boil. So, you know, take your, uh, you know, rye, rye or wheat flour, uh, put it in a small amount, and then, you know, it's not going to get converted. It's going to carry over as a complex carbohydrate um, into your long sour beer fermentation. So I think there's a lot of good ways to go when it comes to extract brewing of sour beers. And it's great because sour beer can be such an intimidating fermentation to kind of go into. Uh, it's just nice to kind of take out the kind of hassle of your typical homebrew brew day by, uh, you know, shaving a, a bunch of hours off of it. So I think uh, people should should jump into it. They shouldn't need to feel like, oh, I don't have all grain yet. How can I possibly start to brew a sour beer? I think go ahead and do it. All you need is maybe a separate carboy. So I'd say go forth, brew hey, sour beer. Hey, Ryan, are you going to uh, NHC this year? I would really like to. I got I to gotta try to see if I can get a, an AHA membership, if I can scrounge up the cash. Well, yeah, you got to do that, and then you know we're giving away a uh, pass to the uh, NHC here at the BN. If you uh, you can call, uh, yeah, I've been I've been hearing about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, if you're short on cash, you know, here's your chance to maybe score a free pass. <laughs> yeah, Matt. If I if you have time, one quick question. Sure. I was wondering about so you, you know I know you talked about a lot about using separate vessels, um, but I wonder if, uh, for example, like using. Uh, kegs for a secondary fermenter, would would you need to kind of make that your dedicated uh, sour beer fermenter? Do you think with kegs, because it's stainless steel, you'd be able to clean it pretty thoroughly? Yeah, I think a keg can work. Um, as for dedicating it or not, um, sort of depends on uh, if you're going to be using any rubber parts, like a gasket or something like that. So if you're using a corny keg and you're you know doing a lot of racking through the the beer line, or I mean, even doing some carbonating through the CO2 port, you know, there are some small gasket parts associated with those. So you'll want to take that into consideration. You could, I mean, you can buy a bunch of those and swap them out for using kind of a commercial keg. Then, uh, you know, you could go without the uh, Sankey stem and just uh, cover it with, you know, a loose uh, bung or some foil, something like that. I've seen that online uh, quite a bit. So I think it can work. Um, you know, but just keep in mind uh, where the rubber or porous parts are going to be along your process, as, as with anything in sour beer. All right, cool. Thanks for the call, Ryan. Uh, and let's do one more question before we uh, taste some beer. Before we do the question, if, oh, yeah. if, if people are out there like Ryan or, you know, they're wanting to go to NHC, and but they need an AHA membership, can they still do that through the Brewing Network? Yeah, absolutely. How that does brewingnetwork.com and there's a link? Yeah, there's a link on the homepage. And uh, yeah, if you're not an AHA member and uh, you're a serious enough brewer to be brewing sour beer and stuff, you're, uh, you're, you're missing out. Definitely. You should be a member of the AHA. I mean, if you're advanced enough to be listening to the show, you can be benefiting from all the stuff you get from the AHA. I think you also get uh, a 10% discount at uh, Wine and Hop Shop if you're an AHA member. Oh, so, there you go. You know, the, the benefits are many, and a lot of local tap rooms will give you a discount if you show an AHA membership card. So check it out on thebrewingnetwork.com. Yeah, I just wanted to get that in. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. AHA is very important, and uh, support those who support the hobby. AHA does a lot of important work on behalf of uh, home brewing. Definitely.
All right, peas and corn. What's going on? Hey, how you going? Hey, where are you calling from, man? I'll call them from Australia. Yeah, Um, international. You you, you can call me Dave, though. All right, Dave, what's going on? Well, I'm uh, making my first Berlinovice, and I'm sort of getting a few sort of conflicting bits of information about uh, the ratio of bugs to yeast. Okay. Um, So I'm ordering some Y-East 5335, and I'm going to be pairing it with their German ale yeast. Now, a few sources have said that the ratio of um, yeast to bugs should be five to one with, uh, like, sort of five yeast to one part um, lacto. Mm-hmm. However, like the other day, I saw a video by Yeast that argued the complete opposite. They, argued, they said that they got better um, kind of tart and sour characteristics if it was five parts lacto to one part yeast. Um, so I'm getting a bit of getting a few conflicting informa- like bits of information there. Yeah, I think um, you're really going to want to give the bacteria a head start, especially if you're talking about first-generation uh, yeast and bacteria, um, which I believe you are. Um, you're going to want to get that lacto started and roaring and have the, be, see high temperatures and ac- unfettered access to sugars, Um so, you know, I think uh, a traditional method is to actually separate the two so you can do a uh, hot side souring. Um, there's a lot of uh, good info on that on Sour Beer Blog. Um, you can also go back to our show uh, with Troy Casey. Early on in the show, we talked to uh, Chris Johnson of Green Bench in Tampa, who went over his method of kettle souring, um, and his beers were great. And you can really just let the lacto dial in to the acidity that you want. And then once it's there, you just boil it and then uh, knock out as you usually would and then pitch your yeast. And you really won't have to worry about the um, ratio. And you also won't have to worry about contaminating any of your equipment down the line. So um, that that would be my recommendation if you're going to try to do it on the hot side. Now, if you're set on doing it in a primary fermentation, I would, I would let the uh, lacto take off first. And, and then pitch the bread uh, in, a, in a secondary type of fermentation. Um, again, that's, that's another thing uh, addressed at Sour Beer Blog in his post about fast souring with lactobacillus. Um, but I definitely think that if you're brewing your first Berliner, there's a more likely chance than not, if you don't use these methods, that it's not going to be as tart as you want. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what your tastes are, but in Berliner, you can argue whether or how tart that style actually should be. How, how tart it was historically versus how tart brewers are making it today. But with these methods, you can kind of dial it in first and then add the yeast and let it finish out. So that's that's kind of where I would shade to. Get the acidity you want uh, first and then give your yeast a, a chance to finish it up. Oh, okay. Um, and just just one more question. Um, sort of What sort of uh, um, a cell count should I be going for? Like what sort of pitching rate should I be going for with the lacto? That's a good question. Um, so we, we don't measure lacto in terms of um, cell counts or pitching rate. We actually just kind of measure it by uh, how fast the drop in pH is. Um, so that would be, you know, for us, we use uh, Brett Lacto primary fermentation. And within about a week with our mature culture, uh, we're already down to about anywhere from 3.2 to 3.5 uh, pH if it's a second generation pitch. If it's a first generation, then the 
the drop is a lot more gradual. Um, but we, we don't actually do any uh, counting of lactobacillus cells. So, you're our uh, you're our first uh, international call on the sour hour, uh, Dave. You got anything to say? Uh, I'll, I'll just uh, thanks for for doing the show. I really uh, appreciate it. It's really good listen. Oh well, thanks for listening. Oh yeah. I, I think uh, was it you, Scott, or was it somebody else who just sent me something? Uh, someone who's doing dry sour beer cultures. For yeast oh yeah yeah so yeah I, I bring this up because uh you know if you're listening from australia or new zealand or uh europe um parts of asia you know we, we take it for granted that we can just get uh liquid cultures uh you know delivered by white labs y yeast um uh, or smaller local places like uh, the east bay here in california or east coast east on the east coast um but this place i think there's an intriguing part of it because he's drying out mixed cultures of sour beer yeah it's called black man yeast uh a listener of ours named jordan um brought this place to our attention and Mm -hmm. it seems to be pretty much kind of brand new right i I believe so i haven't looked into it too much um i I was just intrigued by that for the prospect of you know people who don't have access to this kind of stuff um or even access to sour beer in a bottle that they can grow up uh the dregs from uh, you know, this could be a good way to go. Uh, now, you know, I haven't tested this out. I haven't heard any of the, any feedback from it, but uh, I I would bet knowing the listeners of this show that they're probably looking it up and within yeah. the next uh, six to 12 months, we'll probably have a report back, but that, that might be something uh, kind of cool to look into. So just something I wanted to mention for, for anyone who's uh, listening internationally. Indeed. Uh, so we have uh, a tasting to do. Uh, Matt from Reno has a question. Matt, hold the line. We're going to uh, talk to uh, Brian down in L.A. who sent us these awesome beers, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll do a couple more questions in uh, the next segment. Are you there, Brian? I am here. All right. Well, we got your uh, commercial slash homebrewed beers in front of us. <laughs> so first off, yeah, let's describe these. As Jay mentioned earlier, they got the wax-sealed uh, tops, and uh, the labels have a beautiful sort of uh, wax swoosh on them, which kind of has like a historical uh, thing, right? Yeah. I'd read um, a beer blog online that said something about uh, Cantillon uh, back in the day used to not label their beers. They would just wax the top and put like a swash of paint over the front of the bottle that would identify if it was a goose or if it was fruited of some kind. So I thought that was a pretty cool story. And I just kind of uh, did a little like homage to that. Very cool. And so uh, I see in front of us, we have a kind of a lighter colored beer and then uh, more of a ruby red colored beer. What 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 are these beers that we have in front of us? Uh, I'm not sure which ones... Um, you have there's a there should be like a a raspberry one that's kind of like a pinkish red and okay. then a, uh, a the lighter pink is strawberry. We've actually then, we've got the frambois and the apricot. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you've got the yeah the frambois and uh, the apricot. I can't remember if I gave you the one that was whole fruit or puree, but there should be a sticker on the bottom of the bottle that says whole fruit or not for the orange one. Um, well, it might have fallen off. I, okay. I don't uh, I don't see it. Cool. Um, but I, I do love that not only do these have the uh, the wax seals, but they also have a government warning and a barcode. <laughs> so when I first got these beers, I knew they were coming. You know, Brian and I talked on the email. And uh, the, I opened the package, and I was conf- even though I knew what was coming, I was still confused. I was like, I don't, wait a minute. Did, I know this guy said he was a homebrewer. So I'm showing it to my staff here at the Grenade, and they're like, well, I don't know. It sure looks like commercial beer. And so I, I, uh, I emailed him and said, What's, what gives? And he said, well, I just I pulled a random barcode and pulled a government warning and just kind of put it on the label to uh, kind of blur the line between commercial and homebrew. And uh, he said it sounded like it worked, and it sure did. 
Yep. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your process in making these beers? Yeah. So these, um, uh, kind of funny enough are, uh, both extract. They're actually both beers at the same exact base beer and they're hundred percent extract. Um, and it was just kind of a, a experimental brew I did a few years ago. So the, the beer was actually, we, we added uh, maltodextrin to kind of give some more, maybe uh, comp- complex sugars into the, into the beer. And then, uh, I pitched bottle dregs from Dre Fontaine and Jolly Pumpkin and let the beer sit for about uh, 18 months. And then after about 18 months, I split it up into four small, uh, smaller uh, fermenters and uh, bought fruit from local farmers markets and uh, put it in and let it sit for about four months on the fruit and then bottled them up. These are beautiful beers, man. Yeah, oh, thanks. terrific. And I, I love the process. I mean... Especially getting the Dre and Jolly Pumpkin, that's a dynamite combination right there. I mean, you're just talking about really good, solid sour beers and great beers to harvest from. And these are, uh, you know, definitely commercial level quality. They've got a lot of uh, kind of complex flavors to them, but nothing too uh, over the top. Um, this the, the apricot one is is a little a little bit lighter on the acidity, but it's definitely assertively sour, sharp sour, yeah. Um, I get like a little bit of a like grainy kind of aftertaste, which um, I get in some sour beers sometimes. Uh, I don't get that at all in the the raspberry version, which seems uh, more carbonated, uh, more acidic, and just awesome fruit aromatics and and flavor. And there's like a really great like lactic lemony type uh, acidity to the raspberry beer, where it's very sour, but not. There's almost no like acetic character to it, which is not, you know, you have a little acetic in there. That's not a bad thing. It gives you a sharpness, but th- that beer just kind of seems like it has so much lactic sour to it. It's it's a really awesome. Uh, oh, thanks a lot. Beer. So, would you have been able to? Uh, maybe it's a silly question, but been able to tell Jay that these were extract beers to begin with? I mean, does it make a difference when you're doing that sort of post uh, fermentation stuff? No, I don't think so. And this is great because the caller we were just talking to, um, you know, was asking about extract beers and you know what what to uh consider and you know what brian's saying here is very reflective of what we were just talking about i don't know if you got a chance to hear that brian did you have any advice for any extract brewers out there who are going to try to make their their first sour beer um yeah i I did hear it uh my recommendation so i you mentioned uh weed extract i definitely used uh weed extract for um for this beer um and then yeah there was i think i used 20 percent or 10 percent. i can't remember off the top of my head uh maltodextrin um and the theory being there that because i couldn't mash uh because i couldn't you know mess around with the mash increase mash uh temp or anything like that i was kind of stuck with whatever fermentability was baked into the uh the extracts that i was using that putting something like maltodextrin in um, would maybe simulate some of those more complex sugars that you hear are, are typically produced by something um, by more, by most sour brewers. Um, I thought about using the the flower idea that you mentioned as well, Jay. So it's kind of I probably will try that at some point. So I, thought, I think that's a pretty interesting idea. Yeah, I was always intrigued by that, but I have no uh, no experience to back up whether it works or not. But I'm just waiting right. to hear back from. Uh, you know, there's so many awesome. Home brewers out there doing sour beer that that's where a lot of the experiments are kind of sussed out before you know pro brewers actually try them out so it's it's a great time of uh sharing the burden and research between uh pro brewers and home brewers um one thing i was uh also curious about brian is you got you got great acidity and maturity from 
the the dregs that you cultured up? Did you, you know, kind of have to start them in their own wort for a while before adding them to the beer, or was it really just as simple as, hey, I had a lot of complex sugars in here that uh, skipped the the initial fermentation and they were just available for this uh, long, what did you say, eighteen month process? Yeah, no, I just uh, I. I basically poured the you know bottom of a bottle um and i didn't actually build it up at all um the one thing i guess that that maybe is different is that i left uh, the beers um it, I, I started out because i did 10 gallons total when i did this and i started out with two five gallon uh, plastic buckets and i left it sit in those for about two months before i transferred it over to better bottles uh, two and a halfs um so all four you know all four different fruit styles did end up getting split out on their own eventually but they did sit in uh, plastic buckets, you know, and it, back then it was just because I didn't have anything else to put it in. Uh, but I do think that they picked up a, a considerable amount of oxygen at the beginning um, because of that. And, I, and that that was kind of my thinking is that maybe, uh, I, but I'm, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, uh, what could have what could have increased the acidity. Yeah, I mean, whatever you did, it gave uh, the dregs, which, you know, are usually pretty dormant if you're just adding them straight to a beer. It, it mm-hmm. gave them a great start, but I don't get a lot of... Um, acetic acid character or ethyl acetate to, you know, like it, like a beer would get in an overly right. exposed to oxygen. So, uh, it's a job really well done. Thanks. Appreciate it. What do you got going right now? What's, uh, what's in the middle of, uh, that's not quite done that, that you can send us when it is, uh, for sour beers. I've got, um, I've actually, um, a friend of, uh, a friend of mine had a open garage. So we've been filling it with barrels, uh, lately. We did a, uh, a monster brew with my homebrew club down here, Pacific gravity. We did one with, uh, uh, Smog City in Torrance, and uh, the base uh, beer for that was Belgian Pills. It was kind of a ripoff of their um, Little Bill Pills uh, beer, and so we took that and um, added some sugars and some uh, dark candy uh, syrup to it, and filled up a barrel um, and stuck a put a bunch of dregs in that. And um, or actually, that one was uh, all East Coast yeast, and then we have two other barrels we filled with other different uh, monster brews. Um, so. That's our first experience with barrels. Uh, you know, it's and I know it's hit or miss, so it's a little it's a little frightening uh, with the home brewers. It's hard to get your hands on sixty gallons of wort, but um, you know, so but that's you know a year away from being being ready. Awesome! Well, you guys are really getting it done down there. A lot yeah, of, no kidding. It's like more sour beer than most breweries make. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, it's just like you know, you, you brew a beer and it sits for eighteen months, and you add fruit for four months, and and you get all excited about it, and then quickly you run out of bottles, and it's like, all right, now I need to find a way to have more volume so we can try different fruits and <laughs> different strange things to see what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, we're excited about it. Uh, and just one uh, non-beer question. You mentioned you're uh, you're on the Fox lot down there. Can you tell us what you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I can't talk about what titles or anything, but I, I'm an editor. Uh here at Fox, working on movies and television shows and stuff like that. Uh, are you married? I'm not. Okay. I'm just trying to think of, uh, this is a busy man here with between the beer and is uh, a renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, no, busy for sure. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's fun working, working in the studio stuff. Hell yeah. Well, thanks so much for sending these beers there. They're really fabulous. Uh, much appreciated. And uh, let us know if you'd ever like to send more. We will welcome them with open arms. Yeah. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate uh, being on the show and uh, getting the feedback on the beers. Thanks so much, Brian. And uh, yeah, that was quite a treat. These are some really good beers. What do you think? Should we take a quick break and then get into more questions? Yeah, we'll go back to the phones. We'll go back to the mailbag and try and knock out actually some freaking questions yeah. on this Q&A show. Yeah, we're, yeah we're trying over here. But uh, we'll continue trying next on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. 
beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the brewer's banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable draft quality manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer.
cover. Who sings this? It's AC/DC. Or is it live? Oh, oh it sounds different. Does it? I don't know. This is like, uh, this came from your original list of uh, here's what I want uh, for yeah. uh, rejoiners. Excited. This is like a live version here. Is it? Yeah. I like it. it doesn't, is it really? Man, that's a, that's, it, yeah, that's it sounds a great like live old, older ACDC. Mm, I see. But love it. Love that song. Yeah, I was in the running for the opening of the show, but we chose a good song. Yeah. Pushed it a good job. All right, we're back. It's the Sour Hour. Yeah, let's uh, let's just cut the riffraff and get back on the questions. They're all brought to you tonight by sourbeerblog.com. Let's try and just pump out as many as possible in this last segment. Yes, let's um, let's start with the phones and go to Matt in Reno. Matt, what's happening? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks. Um, bit of a backstory, but a quick question first. Um, do you think the level of alcohol in a beer has anything to do with? lactose ability to produce lactic acid and i asked this because i brewed a double ipa that i split into into two batches in my sour batch i uh, lightly bittered threw in a nice pitch of a uh, san diego super yeast let that go for a few days and then threw fast souring lacto blend from uh, giga yeast mm-hmm. and uh let that ride for about a month transferred to secondary um og was like 1098 got it down to about 1012 and then uh in secondary, about month five and six and seven, the, the lactic acid quality hasn't got any greater. I was wondering if that's maybe because the alcohol is now so high in the beer, you know, pushing like 10%. Yeah, what I do think, you think? I think uh, a lot like hop tolerance, uh, alcohol tolerance of different bacterial strains will vary uh, from strain to strain. Um, famously, Cascade... Uh, uses lacto in their beers and you know their beers are pretty sour but they get up there they're you know 9 10 11 12 percent alcohol and they really have uh, no problem um i know uh firestone barrel works they have a strain of lacto that that they're still trying to find the upper limit of uh ibus on you know what how bitter of a beer can it still sour and it just keeps going um, I don't know the strains uh, of the fast souring lacto blend, but I'd say certainly uh, alcohol and IBUs and just availability of sugars are are all factors when it comes to uh, how much acidity that lacto is going to create. So yeah, I'd say certainly that could that could be a factor in this beer. Interesting. So it's, it may be contributing to something else, but the alcohol isn't helping. Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the strain. Some strains will just blow right by it, but, um, and it just, I don't, again, I don't know what strains are in this uh, blend, but if, yeah. if, it is, if it is a blend of lactose, then you would think that um, some of them would be able to kind of blow by that uh, that ABV tolerance, um, but yeah, maybe not, maybe not so much in this beer. Gotcha. And I know uh, about month two and three, I was throwing some dregs in from Hot and Roth and uh, Tarted Darkness and Ode to Tart. Mm hmm. And that seemed to help a little bit, but yeah, like the past few months has just kind of stalled out. And I mean, I'm only a month, this is beginning of month seven, so I mean, do you, do you expect it to get any more sour, being that it's kind of not gotten, you know, any more sour over the past two months? I mean, is there, should it, excuse me, should I uh, wait a little bit longer and just kind of see how it goes? Or It's funny, this is kind of the classic question, you know. Uh, how do you know when my, it's stalled out? My beer, you know, has been aging X months and it's not sour enough. What should I do? Um, You know, I think creating acidity in sour beer um, really comes down to the strength of the bacterial culture and the availability Uh of sugars. Um, Okay. So, 
you know, maybe if you're, you know, I, I like that you added the dregs uh, from the brewery beers. There, all those cultures are, you know, repitched and repitched and repitched. They're yeah. they're superstars, um, and they're they're going to sour a beer if there are sugars left, um, and you kind of start them up. So, you know, if the beer's not quite sour enough, I'd consider doing, you know, maybe just a one gallon carboy of a beer that's a hundred percent fermented by, you know, brewery dregs. Sounds like. That's what you have access to. Um, oh, a lot of their beers yeah. are, you know, bottle conditioned with Britannomyces. Um, these are great beers to just go ahead and start up. I've, I haven't done a lot of bottle drag uh, work, but the one that I did do was I actually just took a whole bottle of sour beer. Usually you want to decant off the top, and I put decant in quotations. really just means drink. Drink, <laughs> right. like, you know, 80% of the beer and then pour the rest into a starter. But I, I just poured the whole thing just to get maybe some some cells that may be still living for one reason or another, uh, in the conditioning beer. But yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to, you know, a lot of homebrewers struggle with sour beer. It's hard to get it right on the first shot. So why not have, you know, a little one gallon carboy that kind of serves as not only a blending beer, but your ongoing starter culture that you can kind of just continue and feed with, uh, with every brew you have that's, you know, low in IBUs. Um, and you'll just keep it going that way. I think that's a good way to kind of, uh, ramp up your sour production. And once you get that going, you're never going to have a problem with not sour enough. You're going to have to start uh, monitoring for too sour, actually. So that would be my advice. Thanks for the call, brother. Let's uh, go to the mailbag and do a couple of uh, final questions here, if you please. Uh, Let's see. How about this one from Abe Gehrig? Uh, who says, uh, in regular uh, ale sack fermentations, I know it is good to leave some headspace in your fermentation vessel for oxygen to pick up uh, and yeast health. What if I want to do primary for fermentation in a barrel? What is the best practice? Fill the barrel all the way up to the bung and insert a blow-off tube or leave some airspace during primary and then top it off after the vigorous fermentation is finished. What is the recommendation for fill level and oxygenation procedure for primary fermentation in a barrel? Ooh, good question. Um, really depends, but let's let's kind of race through the options here. So, if you're talking about primary fermentation in an oak barrel, um, you know you'll get a little bit of oxygen pickup just because the oak barrel is a porous uh, vessel. Um, if you leave headspace, which I would leave headspace, um, you'll get some oxygen pickup from that. The reason I would leave headspace uh, is just because it's going to be you don't want it to be overly vigorous um, and blow off blow out any blow off or bung setup that you might have airlock setup, um, thereby exposing it to tremendous amounts of oxygen and also the open air where you could get a fruit fly flying in that's going to be carrying acetobacter and then you have all sorts of other problems. But I think the, the biggest factor and decision you're going to have to make is whether or not you're going to oxygenate the work going into the barrel. Um, so that's really going to depend. We, we oxygenate when we're doing Saccharomyces primary fermentations, um, and Britannomyces primary fermentations when they don't have pediococcus. Um, the only time we don't oxygenate is if we're trying to really encourage bacterial growth over yeast growth. And usually that's almost always going to be a Britannomyces fermentation. So I definitely leave some headspace, but there are, there's some awesome, actually, you know, if, if you go on, um, Casey Brewing and Blending's Facebook page. Um, they do, uh, I believe, 100% barrel fermentation. He was a, one of our first guests on the show, and he has a really nice, clean blow-off setup where there's a bung in the barrel, um, kind of a 
plastic pipe coming off and then uh, kind of just points down into a little collection bucket uh, and the blow off just kind of drips down there. This is the same same method you'll see from uh, Pierre Tilken at uh, Tilken uh, Goosery in Belgium. And that's probably the the cleanest barrel cellar I've ever been in. So, you know, you want to be concerned about mess, but also, you know, if the if the top of a barrel is going to be popping off and thereby exposing your beer to, you know, a lot a lot bigger problems than uh, than you really want to be anticipating there. So, yeah, so I would leave a little headspace to make sure your top closure is okay. Um, and oxygen is a factor that you play with to adjust the acidity. Less oxygen means more encouragement of the bacteria outcompeting the yeast. That's something I would consider doing, um, especially when you're just starting uh, your sour program and you're worried about the beer not being sour enough. So, yeah, I'd leave a little bit of space in there. All right, let's do one, uh, another one here from uh, another uh, international listener. Oyvind Goldbranson is writing in from Norway. Mm. says, thanks for a great show. I have a question uh, about bacteria fermentation. Recently brewed a uh, Berliner Weitz using the technique from Sour Beer Blog, our wonderful sponsor. Great. I started fermentation with uh, WLP 672 Lacto Brevis at uh, 104 Fahrenheit after about 20, uh, 40 C. Uh, after about 29 hours, uh, the starting gravity had dropped from 1030 to 1022. Sourness level, uh, sourness level was not quite where I wanted it, but it was okay. Uh, I was afraid the bacteria would consume all the sugars before I could add the yeast, so I cooled the beer to 21C, 70 Fahrenheit. By the time the beer was cool enough uh, I, and I could add the yeast, uh, Brett Lambicus from Weiss, the starting gravity had dropped even further to 1012. Uh, I realize I don't know anything about bacteria and acid production. Does the lacto use the sugars to create acid? How does this effect or relate to alcohol production? Uh, it's a really interesting question. Um, so, yeah, lacto lactobacillus strains can you know, pretty roughly be uh, divided into two distinct categories. Um, you have homofermentative lactobacillus and then heterofermentative lactobacillus strains. Um now the the homofermentative strains um, they're they're basically going to be like a one way street where you're taking sugars and creating lactic acid. Um, homo or sorry, heterofermentative strains um, are going to be consuming sugars and making uh, multiple byproducts um, in addition to lactic acid. And these can include uh, alcohol, carbon dioxide, um, stuff. You but it's a various strain to strain. So I believe you said uh, you're using Brevis. As far as I know, that's a heterofermentative strain. Um, it's not one we actually use a lot of at the rare barrel. Um, so the gravity drop isn't, and we don't use it as 100% fermentation. So I'm not sure I can give you the best advice on the gravity drop and how to deal with that. But if it's if it's really not creating the acidity you want, um, yeah, I could see how that's a problem. Um, it's something we used to struggle with at... Uh, the brewery um, making uh, our hot and roth Berliner Weiss, um, it, you know, just balancing the lacto with with a Brett strain um, and to create the right amount of acidity. I'm I'm a big fan of adding them both at the same time, but the lacto really has to be uh, nice and hearty. But I, I I'd be interested to see what the pH of your beer is because if it's really going that well, then you know, it sort of seems like you should have the acidity that you want. So it's interesting to see uh, that you're not getting what you want. But what I would recommend doing is maybe uh, varying the lacto strain that you use. Um, you can use multiple strains. Um, but, you know, you really should. 
It's a tough question because you really should be getting acidity if it's just on its own at a high temperature. Um, un, the only other thing I can think of, and uh, you know, maybe it's not prudent for me to comment on this, but if there if there somehow was yeast that uh, was introduced anywhere in the process, that would that would be an explanation explanation for the drop in gravity without a corresponding uh, drop in pH. So that's all speculative, but yeah, I, I would just try out some test fermentations with some different lactose and uh, kind of see how it goes. It's always good to experiment on a small scale before you uh, commit, you know, multiple gallons and, you know, have your whole brew day kind of uh, not, not go the way uh, you wanted to in, uh, in the fermentation process. Well, forgive us for not getting to more questions. I do, Jay, want to do uh, one final tasting here, which I wasn't sure we were going to get to, but uh, I did hear back from uh, Creature Comforts Brewing Company, uh, who sent us a beer a while back. Uh, Blake over there sent us a uh, uh, some of their Berliner Weitz and some of their IPA. They're out of Athens, Georgia. I do have to say before we get uh, Blake on the line here that you know me, Jay. I'm not a big IPA guy, and I know you're not either. Generally, you know, we love the sour beer and it's just not not our default like it is uh you know so many other people's sure. this blake is the first ipa this is their uh tropicalia ipa that i actually wanted like i went i was like i don't know what i want i'm going for my fridge and i want a freaking ipa it's a fabulous beer man i don't know what they're doing that that's so different <laughs> but it's the first ipa that i've really like i will go out of my way to get this beer amazing awesome. stuff very cool so thanks for sending this to us blake uh, no problem. All right. Well, so, but, we're, you know, this is the shower hour, of course. So uh, the wonderfulness of the IPA aside, uh, tell us about this Berliner Weitz. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. So the Athena is a Berliner we do year-round in a can. Um, it's one of two beers that we sell uh, in a can, so it's pretty fun. Um, we do a kettle souring technique, which I know you guys have talked about a little bit. But um, we basically mash in and louder just like any normal beer we'll boil the beer actually for about 20 minutes to get rid of all the oxygen and any um you know organisms that we don't want in the beer and then we'll pitch uh our blend of lactobacillus and sour it uh, in our kettle for about uh usually take somewhere between about 12 and 18 hours get down to 3.45 ph and we'll boil it again Add a little bit of hops and then send it on through uh, and ferment it with our ale yeast, just like any normal ale at that point. Awesome! It's got a, it's got what I really like about this beer is it's got a really traditional uh, flavor profile. So you know a lot of uh, American breweries who are trying to recreate the Berliner Weiss style. Um, I mean, some some struggle to get the right amount of acidity. Some go kind of in the American way, a little too aggressive on it. Um, this is kind of what I imagine you know, traditional Berliner is going to be tasting like, and there's so much balance. It's not too acidic, I would say. No. Um, and what really lets that lets shine through is the kind of soft pillowy, almost mouthfeel. There's like a great wheat kind of grainy character, awesome mouthfeel that yeah. this is just like, you know, if I'm sitting on my deck in Athens, Georgia, I'm, I'm putting down a couple six packs of this beer. Well, a after you uh, wipe the perspiration on your forehead with a cold can exactly. and say my word, then yeah. you put yeah. down a couple. <laughs> yeah, <my> absolutely. <laughs> it was, uh, we're already hitting mid eighties and it's definitely humid as a swamp around here. Um, and that's kind of, uh, uh, definitely a lot of approach to the beer came from the fact that, um, you know, in regards to kind of the acidity balance and, and the aspect of being more traditional is that we're going to put it into a six pack. Um, and it's, you know, it's 4.5% uh, 
I personally, and I know everybody around the brewery, we want to be able to drink a few of them at a time. And um, certainly that's kind of what we expect a person to be able to do if they buy a six pack of a beer. So, um, you know, we felt like it was kind of easy to make a tongue scraping sour beer and and that's kind of a, applies to our IPA as well but we wanted to kind of go back to the the balanced approach and just have something that we want to drink and something that is easy to drink man after a, like a hard day in the in the brewery uh yeah Athena is a great pint of beer to have yeah it's definitely a, a nice delicate balanced beer is is it something where you how many batches of this of this beer have you done were you playing around with the acidity as you went forward were some batches kind of you know too sour for your taste not sour enough um we piloted the beer so we're about to hit our one-year anniversary and this is a year-round offering for us so we've been making it um for nearly a year now on the uh well i guess we started brewing beforehand so about a year now on the commercial level we piloted and, and worked on the recipe for about two years before that before we got up and running and at first it was kind of interesting kind of we tested i think five different ale yeasts to kind of get a flavor profile and and just to make sure that it would work with the acidic environment uh, we tested out a few different lactobacillus strains um, and then just got it to the point where we had our process nailed down and it was a pretty repeatable uh, process where uh, now we're brewing about 60 barrels of this beer every week or so um, and it's going in six packs and we get a pretty consistent result out of it. How, how long does it take batch to batch? Uh, that's a three-week ale. Um, we Souring is about a 12 to 18-hour process and from there we'll ferment with our ale strain and it's, it's about three weeks uh, to package from brew day. Awesome. Uh, Blake, could you go into a little bit more when you were testing out the different strains of lactobacillus? Uh, you know, what what was your experience there? Which ones did you like? Did you not like? It kind of ties into the uh, mailbag question we just had where, you know, he, he was having trouble getting uh, a good amount of acidity out of his uh, kettle souring process. So, ha- yeah, know, sure. And I actually, I heard that question and um, Dude, I think I'm about as puzzled as you were as why that wasn't getting sour. Um, it sounded like it should have been getting sour to me. Um, so we tested out um, different um, Delbrookii strains that you get from, I think those were pretty more, a lot more accessible maybe three years ago, and that's rapidly changed in the last, I think, in the last year to year and a half is what kind of lactobacillus you had access to. Uh, we originally, after we tested out some more available strains, we got in touch with Al at East Coast. Um, talked to him about some bacteria that he had available. So what we landed on was a blend actually between Delbrookii and Brevis. And uh, we keep that going. And um, uh, originally he started us off and then he kind of just advised us that he doesn't mess with Delbrookii anymore. So we kind of reconstituted our own um, as we needed. Uh, but um, yeah, we found those two strains working together work really well. Uh, and they gave a little bit more character to the city than when we were using Desh, just Del, Delbrookia, Delbrookia, excuse me, alone. It was kind of a more flat, acidic character. Uh, we felt like with the blend that we started using that we got a lot of huge uh, like white grape and citrus and kind of Sauvignon Blanc notes that we really love. Um, and it kind of just made the beer a little bit more interesting. Um, than just being kind of a uh, really sharp and um, kind of one-note sourness to it. So we ended up using those two. And then the ale yeast actually surprisingly made quite a big difference in what we decided to use as well. Awesome, yeah. It's, it's definitely that white grape thing you're talking about really comes out. And you know, just go to show, you know, maybe if you diversify your kind of lactobacillus uh, portfolio on the hot side, then... Maybe you have a little more luck. Um, that, you know that could have contributed to the uh, the mailbag uh, questions uh, problem. 
I wonder, too, uh, if maybe that was just uh, Mr. Goldbranson's perception. Like, maybe he was just expecting it to be a lot more sour than it actually was. And it wasn't that it wasn't sour. It's just he was expecting the, the tongue scraper, as Blake mentioned. Yeah, it could maybe. be. I don't know. You know, it, I think time's a big fa- time and temperature are big factors here. Um, you know, what Blake's doing is, I think, relatively uh, short, hot side uh, souring that, I, that I've heard from different commercial breweries. But, you know, he's also going for um, a beer that is sour, but it's, you know, more lightly sour, just kind of a, a prick on the palate instead of, a, you know, a bowling ball knocking you over. But yeah, it's, it's an amazing beer. Where where can people uh, get this beer? Is this kind of just a Georgia thing or, you know? Oh, yeah. We, this... um, so being pretty young, we just actually launched cans into the Atlanta market. Uh, right now we're in Athens, which is a town of about 120,000 people. And um, we've got a lot of support here and they drink a lot of our beer. So it's pretty great. We don't have to send our beer too far. So I would say right now, if you're lucky, you can find it in Atlanta. Uh, it's been kind of hit or miss as kind of it's rolled out and it's sold out very quickly, which is a great problem for us, except uh, it's keeping us very busy. Um, but definitely you'll find it around Athens pretty easily. You guys have to just be blowing through so much of that IPA, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a popular beer. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, we've had interesting problems with bars complaining that they don't sell other beers anymore, which is just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like we don't know what to say to that. It's like, sorry. I can That's see why amazing. it's so popular. I mean, yeah. this beer is delicious. I haven't had the IPA yet. I think Scott's hoarding that. Um, but oh, <laughs> I have a can here. You want to taste I, it? I will take, I would. Right. We're going yeah. to pour some of it. All right. Awesome. And then beautiful branding as well. You know, not something, uh, I'm always uh, touting when it comes to breweries, but you know it, it bears mentioning here the the logo, the design of the cans, very appealing, and uh, the Berliner especially. I, I appreciate that because not only is it uh, an approachable uh, sour beer, but just the presentation of it is making it uh, more likely that you know a lot of people are going to be having their first sour beer experience with this beer, and I'm I'm really happy about that. That's something that I'm. I'm passionate about and what a big part of the show is about is that you know let's make sure that people's first experience with sour beer is a good one and that helps you know sour beer brewers all across the country because when you know people are traveling from berkeley california to athens georgia they're more likely hopefully to stop by your place and uh you know buy a few six packs of this beer absolutely um and that was something important for us as well i mean we're young so our barrel program hasn't really uh, come to fruition, but for us, it was we we knew we wanted to have a pretty serious barrel program, which we hope to grow significantly this year. And uh, part of a gateway to that is being in the southeast. There's really not a ton of sour beers down here, especially in Georgia. Um, our laws have kept breweries at bay for quite some time, so there's not a ton here, and there's certainly not a lot making sour beers. Um, more have been popping up, but we wanted to have that beer that introduced people to sour beer and got them to um, kind of grow to appreciate that kind of flavor, that tartness, and that refreshing. And it just makes so much sense, actually, in our climate as well. So then as we kind of get older and folks can start uh, tasting our barrel program sours and, and actually what we've done there, which should be a little bit more complex and um, probably more tart, that they'll be more accustomed to that sensation. They'll be ready to kind of take that next step with us. Absolutely. Well, Blake, I want to thank you so much for joining us and especially for sending us these awesome beers. Um, anything else you want to plug? Uh, do you guys have a, a website, a Facebook that uh, people can go to if they want to come and visit? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, we're at CreatureComfortsBeer.com um, and you can find us on Facebook. Um, big, big day for us actually is our first anniversary is April 25th uh, coming up in a few weeks. 
and um, absolutely come by and see us anytime and uh, come visit. And uh, unfortunately, we're only open for a few hours a day because in Georgia, breweries actually aren't allowed to sell beer to people. Um, <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm working on that. Well, we're as a brewery, actually, we're very actively working on that. Uh, it's been a long struggle, uh, but we continue to push forward and hopefully get those laws changed because it just... I mean, I go to a baker, I buy bread, I go to a butcher, I buy meat, I should go to the brewer and buy beer. It <laughs> no, kind of makes sense in yeah, every yeah. other state in the country, but not, our, not ours. Well, yeah, keep, keep fighting the good fight, man. It's, uh, Thanks. I, I don't know how many uh, states that are left are still having those wacky laws, but probably more than we would care to admit. But uh, I think we're one out of three, actually. And wow. also, I will say, I sent a couple of uh, 750s, so Jay, don't let uh, Scott hog all those, too. <laughs> uh, he was hoping you would not mention that. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> um, yeah, Thanks for sending these to us. I, I did just pour uh, Jay some of the IPA, and it's uh, that's awesome. It's it is awesome. It's it's forgive me for not uh, serving it fresher. I'm, I'm we've had these beers for about uh, maybe a month or so, but it still tastes really great. Uh, oh, so you're, you really Scott. you really do. Uh, well, <laughs> I, there's still some left for you. So yeah, just be thankful. I'm thankful for that. You know? for sure. So yeah, thanks, Blake. We really appreciate it. You got it, guys. Cheers. All right, there you Big go. Thanks to Blake. Awesome beers, Creature Comforts, Athens, Georgia. Yeah, we should. Uh, Keep updated on that uh, Georgia selling beer situation. Yeah. BN Army is, I think, pretty good. They can send some angry letters to uh, various Georgia representatives. Dear and, sirs. Yeah. yeah. Go- the governor and all that good stuff. The governor. Yeah. And I'll uh, I'll work with uh, Blake and uh, see if we can get uh, Creature Comforts on the session. Maybe have mm. those guys fly out here and bring some beer or something. But uh, they're definitely doing something right and would like to hear more from them. Yeah. Happy yeah. one year anniversary. Indeed. The first of many based on the quality of the beer. Indeed. And and thanks to, uh, to Marto Brewing. Uh, and uh, make sure you go support his uh, crowdfunding campaign, help him get off the ground, and then uh, he'll uh, be celebrating his one-year anniversary soon, hopefully, uh, martobrewing.com. Yeah, hopefully open in the fall of this year, so fall of next year, first-year anniversary. Fly it out on the BN jet or the new uh, BNRV. Yes. The, uh, the Jamil Mobile. The bunker, we've dubbed it. The bunker? The bunker. Okay, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, thanks to uh, Eric Martin from Marto, M-A-R-T-O, Brewing, um, thanks to the wine and hop shop, Madison, Wisconsin. Again, condolences about the national championship. That was rough. That was pretty <laughs> that rough. That was bad. Wineandhop.com. You need some, uh, you need some homebrew to, uh, you know, get through that tough, tough loss, but you'll, you'll get over it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you still have the Packers. They, um, they might not get over it. There are people who like, uh, I'll never forget the 78 Super Bowl, man. Never. Still stings. Still stings like it was yesterday. I'm like that. Too, yeah. Though. See, you don't ever really get over it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then also thanks to uh, sourbeerblog.com for sponsoring all the questions on the show tonight. Um, thanks to Brian for sending in those uh, sour beer homebrew, the, the nicest homebrew bottles. Actually, you know what? Uh, Dr. Lambic's bottles were pretty nice as well. I'm telling you, man. Talented, talented of- brewers out there. The level of homebrew sour beer is a lot of times on par with commercial sour beer. It's a pretty awesome time to be part of sour beer. Um, so we thank all you guys for listening to the Sour Hour um, and being a part of this great time in sour beer. We'll be back uh, next month with a guest. I think we have it confirmed. It's going to be uh, 
Firestone Barrel Works. Yes. On the show. So stoked for that. And in the same month as their uh, Firestone Walker Invitational, it'll be a nice uh, Firestone Walkery month. Yeah, and the Rare Barrel will be uh, down at that festival. So if anyone's going to come out for that, you can come up and say hi. And uh, we'll talk some sour beer. And, of course, drink a lot of sour beer. And you're going to bring enough not to run out in the first six and a half minutes of the fest there? Yes. Okay, good. I hope so. But, yeah, we'll we'll see you next time for Firestone. Uh, It's been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. The Brewing Network.